You're listening to. Welcome back to First of All, a real unfiltered conversation on career, family, love, and culture. I'm your host, Minji Chang, and welcome to episode eight. I need to make a disclaimer at the top of this episode. I am being really, really high tech today and recording in my ultra plush Honda Civic um, (laughs) recording studio. I'm recording in my car because this is the best sound, but I'm also in my garage, and so there's a lot of nonsense happening around me. I've restarted recording this about eight times already, but I'm going to, I'm just going to put a disclaimer here. This is the last time I'm not restarting it. We're just going to power through. If there's some background noise, we're just going to, we're going to embrace it as ambiance, um, that you're really here with me at, at home in my garage (laughs) as I record this. Um, because I'd hate to keep starting and stopping, but just a warning that that's, the deal. Um, but I'm so glad to have you all here with me for episode eight. And before we dive into the feature topic for today, uh, I'm flying solo, no guest, but I want to acknowledge something really awesome. Um, a milestone happened today where episode seven, which is the episode featuring my mom, Carol Chang, uh, her story about immigrating to the U.S. and her experience as an immigrant dealing with racism in America uh, these last 37 years. It just reached number one in my top 10 podcast episodes, which is so cute because I don't even have 10 episodes. So it's number one of seven. And, um, she's, she's not famous. She's not popular. She, she does not have social media. She has no following. But the fact that her episode and, and the topic that we talked about, really, I guess, struck a nerve with the people that listened and that you guys were people that I don't even know were sharing that episode on Twitter and um, appreciating it. I don't know. It was just so wonderful and meaningful. And both my mom and I are very grateful and tickled by all of this. I think it just really speaks to what I have that gut feeling about that there are these really important stories that are not shared that often. And when they are, you know, it, it strikes a nerve because these are stories that we want to hear and that we can relate to and learn from. So that was just really incredible. I'm very proud of my mom because she was so shy about even being on the podcast. And to see that it was, you know, the most successful one that I've had so far is just really touching. So thank you to everybody listening. I'm, I'm super grateful. And that will definitely not be the last time Mama Chang is on my podcast because Y'all heard her. She is, she's some knowledge to drop and she's very, she's really, really wise. And just, um, you know, depending on the topic, she's usually a ray of sunshine. And yeah, I'd love to have her back. So moving on to, uh, episode eight, I'm really happy to have you guys here with me and the topic. Honestly, I don't even know how I'm going to title this. Uh, shout out to my producer, Marv, because you're going to help me with this. I wanted to reflect on some of the stuff that I've been going through the last couple weeks, um, less than two weeks. It's been about 10 days. Uh, I mentioned it in my last episode, uh, which is that I lost a really good friend of mine very suddenly uh, to a very massive stroke. And um, yeah, it wasn't 
prepared for that. Not that a lot of people are. And I figured it's a really tough topic. I didn't even know how I'd go about reflecting on it, but I think that was the entire challenge and, uh, beauty of this podcast is this is my virtual living room. I wanted to create a space where we can talk about very universal, sometimes very deep, sometimes difficult things uh, to talk about. And dealing with death is still a relatively new arena for me. And uh, But I know just on a very factual level we're all going to deal with it. We all do deal with it. We're all going to die. And um, it's a very, you know, in the cliche way, it's a very natural part of life. It's a very finite, unavoidable fact of life. And um, now that I'm navigating that for the last 10 days with somebody that meant a lot to me, um, I wanted to be able to kind of walk through the feelings and my thoughts. And also really honor my friend who passed because this woman changed my freaking life and uh, perhaps me reflecting on who she was and what she did for the world and for me, you know, it'll kind of, she really motivated me to actually be in a better place than I was before she died. Um, so we'll dive into that. And uh, just as a precursor, I did look up the the... I guess I thought it was five stages of grief, but apparently it's seven now. I just put this in Google, y'all. So um, this is what came up. But the seven stages of grief um, are number one, shock and denial. Two, pain and guilt. Three, anger and bargaining. Four, depression, reflection, and loneliness. Five, the upward turn. Six, reconstruction and working through it. And seven, acceptance and hope. Um, I should source this, but I didn't write that down. But anyways, those are the what was outlined as the seven stages of grief. I've definitely been dealing with all of those the last 10 days. Um, I think I'm somewhere in number five, the upward turn. But I, I don't know, weird, different moments kind of bring me back to the different stages. And so... Uh, what I'm recognizing, and I've experienced this when I've lost my grandfathers, um, and when I dealt with an ex-boyfriend of mine, we navigated that journey of losing his father to terminal cancer. It's definitely not a linear experience. It's not like, oh, I'm done with stage one, now I'm going to move on to stage two, and I don't got to worry about stage one anymore. Um, it's definitely, you know, based on the individual, I think... There's no, there's definitely no time timeline. There's definitely no um, order to it, and and so I just want to acknowledge that because when we're seeking structure, when we're googling something like the seven stages of grief, part of me was seeking some kind of okay, what can I expect? Um, I'm already ten days in it, and that's the first time I googled it, and I've already dealt with multiple deaths, and this is the first time I've looked up the official stages of grief. I wanted to get some sense of what should I prepare myself for. Um, and in some ways, it's really helpful to, to see what that structure and that outline, that process looks like. It is good to prepare. But um, at the same time, no, no two people are alike in their relationship with 
whoever passed. They're not the same in their place in life and where they are in their career, with their families, with their relationships. So everyone's reflection and their process is going to be really different. So I'm putting that out there because I want to be able to honor everybody's process and that whatever you're going through, it's okay. And um, I want to encourage people, you know, I don't want to preach at people, but I know that we all deal with emotions really differently. And so uh, in acknowledging that we're all human, that we have all these different stages of grief and ways that we mourn, just to deal with it, you know? Um, I don't know. That's a whole other podcast. I can just being Korean American, being, uh, being an exceptionally emotive, like I'm not saying I have more feelings than any kind of, sometimes I think that I have more feelings than other people, but I feel like I'm unable to harbor my emotions. Like I have to let it out. I have to cry. I have to yell when I'm mad or, you know, I don't want to become destructive and break things, but I get the urge to break things when I'm mad. I don't know how to suppress stuff. Um, I get really busy, so I have to like put some things on the back burner, but I deal with emotions a lot sooner than a lot of other people that I've met, which has its good and bad to that. Um, but I've also dealt with a father who's, you know, dealt with a lot throughout his lifetime and, um, people who have suppressed their emotions in different ways. So, I don't know. We're all just trying to figure it out. I just want to help people feel okay with the fact that they're figuring it out. It's the best way I can put it. But kind of coming back to Irene, um, Irene Cho was one of the most incredible people I have ever met and that I will ever meet. I know that for a fact. I've only known her for three years, but in that three years, she made the most remarkable impact on my life. And uh, that's one of the main reflections that I have in her passing is that it's not necessarily about the the length of time you knew somebody or even how closely you knew somebody. I know that like when Michael Jackson died, which was actually not that long ago, I felt like I lost a friend. I was devastated when Michael Jackson died. I've never met the guy, but we knew him. We Millions of people were grieving for him because we felt like we knew his heart and because he had given us something so special, which was his music and his art. Um, So yeah, there's no way to define how much somebody can or ought to mean to someone. But Irene was definitely one of those people. As soon as I met her, we had a very instantaneous bond. Um, Irene's 14 years older than me. She passed away at a very young age of 46. And uh, she was just a fellow, loud, outspoken ambitious, extroverted, energetic Korean-American woman. And uh, I met her because she was producing a film called Soul Searching. Soul is in Seoul, Korea. Um, It was an independent film that was really meaningful for the Asian-American community um, in terms of getting our stories out there and improving representation. And that's something that she and I instantaneously clicked on because it means a lot to both of us. Uh, But even in our first conversation, I remember that Irene told me that she's like, oh my God, you're, you're, you're like a mini me. <laughs> and I immediately felt very honored that she said that because I really liked her. And um, she just had this energy and this warmth about her that was really infectious. And she was one of the most active and quick and smart and no bullshit, um, positive, generous people that I'd ever met. So over the years, I got to work with Irene um, at Sundance. She actually 
you know, we kept in touch. We promoted this film together. She had a lot of really amazing words of encouragement and praise for me. And that gave me a lot of motivation. Um, again, different people can impact you in different ways, but she had a legitimacy about her. She worked, this woman hustled so hard. She worked at DreamWorks um, Animation. She worked at Sundance and she, she had such a huge passion for film and not only a passion, but she knew her shit. She was smart. She worked so hard. Um, she never sat around waiting for people to tell her what to do. She just went out and found out. She, she would research it or she would ask a person and she would make stuff happen out of thin air. And so when she complimented you, A, it was genuine because she would not dish out words that she didn't mean. And B, coming from someone who was so getter, go-getter and someone who had done so much in her life by the point that I met her, when she complimented me, it meant a lot. And the fact that she was out there doing stuff um, and that we're so similar, it really gave me a lot of fuel to feel like I wasn't alone and that there was like a role model out there that you know I could call a friend, but I could also really ask specific questions to and feel like I could get a good answer. Um, it really meant a lot to me. So Irene was, she was a podcaster. She had her own radio show called The Daily Buzz. Um, it was a podcast and it was on the radio. Again, Irene was a hustler. She got this radio show onto NPR in Utah because every year she would, uh, she would interview filmmakers at Sundance. She also went to other film festivals like Con, South by Southwest. I mean, this woman just like, I couldn't spend that much time with her because she was always traveling somewhere and she was always doing something. She was always making things happen and connecting people. So if she wasn't at a film festival interviewing every filmmaker under the sun that she could get in the room, uh, she was with her son, Ethan. Uh, she was visiting her parents in Seoul, Korea, taking care of them, buying them gifts and checking in on their retirement situation. She just made everything possible. And you just can't wrap your head around why because you're like, or how, because you're like, you have the same number of hours and minutes in a day as I do. And I struggle to get a quarter of that done. And the funny thing is people have said that about me. And when I looked at her, that's what I thought. I was like, holy shit, how does she do this? How does she manage? So the thing about Irene was that she had a very rare neurological disorder called Moya Moya. And, um, it actually was, a a neurological disorder that had that um, constricted blood flow to her brain. So she was diagnosed with this back in 2001. And knowing that about her, I actually didn't know this about her until this year. And it was really just, I just feel like I've learned so much about her since she's died, which I think is sadly the case with a lot of people that we, we learn more about them after they've gone than when we, you know, have, have the blessing of having them around us physically. Learning about Irene at her funeral, at her memorials and online, it gives me a much fuller picture of who she was. It validates everything that I thought about her in my own little universe and my own friendship with her. But I really believe that her having this really rare literally one in a million brain disease made her live the life that she did. She was so generous and she was so positive 
Um, not to say that she didn't get stressed out, not to say that people did not irritate her because they did. And she did, uh, she didn't let it get to her too much. She didn't let things, things that we can look at as important. They, she made them little things. They were trivial to her. They, they were not big or important enough to get in her way of getting done what she needed to get done or what she wanted to get done. Um, and it's just so funny, and that's why I felt it was so important to talk about her and also her passing because all of it kind of comes back to the larger reflection of the limited time that we have because the reality is we don't know when we're going to go. We don't know when or how we're going to go, um, but we all know that at some point we got to go. I don't mean to make anything super morbid and say that, you know, you know, be scared because you're going to die tomorrow, which I don't know. But um, ideally, you know, I want in, in one way I want to live to to say that I'm going to live to be a hundred. But recently, I've kind of stopped caring about that. Um, and Irene's kind of bringing that idea back up into my life that we have no guarantees, and in the time that we have presently. We got to do the most that we can do. One of the ways that Irene really changed my life, her friendship, um, her personality, her energy, and her zest and her love that she was just so openly giving to other people and to projects, uh, was that she believed in me and she told me so. The last conversation that I had with Irene was in Sundance of in January earlier this year. And we had been through hell and back together because she brought me on to be a fellow interviewer on her podcast, The Daily Buzz. So if anyone wants to get to know Irene, you can because her voice is right there for you on that podcast. Uh, you can find it on the internet. You can hear her, her uh, dynamic nature. You can hear her curiosity. You can hear... Her humor, she had this like raspy, husky, deeper voice, which in a very bittersweet way, I was told by multiple people, including her family, that I have a similar voice to her. Um, but we worked on this podcast together. We went five straight days of, of just absolute hell in a way. Robert Redford, you're a beautiful man and a filmmaker, but really, like, who decides to make a film festival in the middle of winter in Utah? I mean, it was just, like, feet upon feet of snow. We had snowstorms. It was also the week slash weekend of Trump's inauguration. So we had all that emotional nonsense flying around us in our heads. And then the Women's March was in the middle of all of all of the interviewing, like Irene and I, we, and, and then my tire blew out in Salt Lake city in the middle of the night at like midnight one night. I didn't know how, how the hell I was supposed to get from Salt Lake city to park city the next day. We dealt with so many crises, but we got through it together. We interviewed some amazing filmmakers. We watched all of the films that these filmmakers made because you have to speak intelligently when you're interviewing somebody. Um, and at the end of it all, Irene and I were sitting in a restaurant one morning um, in Park City, and we finally kind of had a chance to breathe. And she started talking to me about my passions and like asking me a lot of questions. And in that conversation, I shared with her, you know, a lot of things that I'd gone through as a child um, and that I'd gone through as a teenager. 
And I guess here, now as good as a time as any to let listeners know that as a Korean American female that grew up in the Bay Area in the 90s, it was a really crazy time. And um, everyone has crazy times. That's why I'm so fascinated by everyone's stories. But I personally went through an abusive relationship for five years that uh, ended kind of catastrophically, but was ultimately for my the best good, which I believe everything is. And um, just my struggle with my identity, with being a woman, with um, being Korean, just being having a lot of anger that I'm still dealing with, um, that I'll deal with on air partially with you guys on this podcast. And she just related to all of it. And she's 14 years older than me, and she's gone through more life than me. She's married and has a kid. But together, we just felt like somebody out there in all the chaos really, really understood us. We really understood each other in that moment and in that conversation. And um, she opened up to me a lot in that conversation. And we were sitting in this crowded restaurant just crying together. And um, in that conversation, you know, I told her really clearly that I really wanted to make movies. I told her that I have all these ambitions and that I have these stories that, you know, I'm just I was sitting there saying, like, you can't write this shit. Like, the, it's like Korean dramas 101 and um, we we're just sitting there crying together and she's like Minji you have to do it and she meant it she meant it 110% she's like if you feel compelled to make these films if you feel like you have a voice if you feel like you're down for that journey because making a film and kind of bringing a very personal story and idea from you know in your brain to on camera is a very tough and sacred and stressful endeavor she just really encouraged me she was holding my hand and she was like you got to go do this and I was so scared I I have been scared um to to attempt this but I felt her I felt her energy I felt her belief in me and we just sat there and I was like all right then I'm gonna do it I'm gonna I'm gonna make these movies um, and we have been promoting a film at Sundance that was Korean American, created, written, and acted by Justin Chan. It's a movie called Gook. It had just gotten rave reviews at Sundance, you know, a couple days earlier. And she and I were just having this moment together as two little Korean American women who've been through a hell of a lot in their lifetimes, sitting in the middle of the snow, making promises to each other. So the crazy thing is, with the timing of her death, um, that was also the conversation where Irene revealed to me that she had been dealing with this brain disorder, and I didn't know. But I kind of always sensed that, you know, she always had this really, uh, she had tired physique. Uh, she was always exhausted, and I knew that she went a million miles an hour. So to be quite honest, I wasn't too shocked when she told me that she had this very rare uh, health issue. It kind of explained a lot of why... She seemed in a way to be racing against a clock. Um, but the timing of when I found out she died was just really crazy because Charlottesville had just happened. Now, Charlottesville was and still is, you know, a lot to digest. Um, but also in the larger narrative, coming from a person of color, I'm not surprised that it happened. I've actually had more and more uncomfortable conversations about race 
and representation with, with white people, with people who are confused and shocked and don't understand and trying to bridge that gap that seems to be present in a lot of cases. Um, but Charlottesville happened that fateful weekend, that was two weekends ago. And after that, I felt this really, really strong conviction. Like I need to like hurry my ass up and start writing this film. The funny thing is I had already started writing uh, an outline for a film about my experience, about my abusive relationship. But because of Charlottesville, I suddenly turned a corner and I said, no, I need to write something about my brother. I need, this is way more relevant. This is way more powerful. And I just kind of knew in my gut, that's the story I got to write. And that's one of the stories I had shared with Irene. So uh, I started writing that weekend, that day that uh, Charlottesville hit the news and it was just all over our news feeds. I started writing that night and that next day. Um, I was super LA about it and I went to the beach. I sat by the ocean, had my laptop and was, you know, typing away at my, at my script. And um, that day I had been thinking, oh my God, I need to hit up Irene because I told her, I was like, be ready because you're going to be my producer and we're going to take this this film, whatever it is that I make, we're going to take it to Sundance together. And that was, that was our pact. That was our promise. And crazily enough, two days after I had been writing that two days on that following Tuesday is when she had a stroke. She had a massive stroke in the shower. Um, her husband and her seven-year-old son were there and took her to the hospital. Um, Irene was pronounced brain dead the following day. And that day, Wednesday, that's when I got the message. Um, and again, I really believe in everything happening for a reason. My life is endlessly synchronistic and entertaining because the craziest, the craziest shit happens. Like I, I again, it's like, you can't write this stuff. Um, because I could have been a million different places. I had two other places I was supposed to be, except in my car on the phone with a friend and when I was on the phone was when I got the message that Irene had had a stroke. And um, I was in the middle of two conversations chatting-wise, and a friend, a very generous, amazing friend, offered to fly me up home from L.A. to the Bay to see her, to be able to say goodbye. Now, usually I am horrendous at accepting generosity from people. I'm really, really obnoxiously bad at, at saying yes. And like, if someone's trying to help me, I'm like, no, 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 no. I got, I, I can, you know, I can do it. No, it's fine. Oh, that's so inconvenient for you. But when this offer came, I knew I was like, I have one chance to see Irene before she goes because they were going to um, take her off life support within the next 24 hours. And so I said, yes. Um, and so I drove directly from that parking lot that I was in when I got that message uh, ironically, I had all my stuff with me because I had had a photo shoot for headshots that day. And I went straight to the airport and I got on a plane and I went up to Oakland. Um, so that day was, I was in shock and, you know, stage one of the stages of grief, I was in shock and denial and I had the best conversation with my father that I've ever had <laughs> in a really long time that night. Um, he picked me up with my little brother at 10 and we went to bed at one. And in that time he comforted me. He affirmed, um, my decision to want to do film, which I've spent like my whole life, especially the last five years wanting him to say. And it was just this incredible conversation that I don't know 
could or would have happened, when it would have happened if it wasn't for me being there for Irene. And the next day, I went to the hospital, which happened to be very close by to where my parents live. And I saw her in the ICU, and I got to say goodbye. Now, I know that she had already been pronounced brain dead, but she was still breathing. And she was on a ventilator, and she was still warm. So it meant a lot to see her one more time. Um, It meant a lot to hug her and tell her um, that I'm moving on what I said I would do, that I would write this thing, that I would do my absolute best to make it a reality and that she would be with me and that I knew that um, just because she wasn't physically there that I would have her by my side through this process and that I would would take her spirit and her gumption and her intensity, her no-bullshittedness, with me as I go on this journey without her physically. So yeah, that's kind of the (laughs) story. But since then, um, there's, I've been to two of her memorials and, um, you know, we help fundraise a lot of money for her family to help cover expenses and things like that. And I have been on a really crazy journey of emotion. I have been feeling so guilty um, about not reaching out to her more. Um, there had been like money issues because, uh, Irene had to reimburse me for this and this and that from Sundance. And then I hadn't heard from her in a while. So like I, there was underlying notes of frustration. I'm just keeping it real. I was kind of frustrated. I was like, Irene, dude, like hit me back. And it had been six months. So I, you know, I'd been getting a little bit impatient, but Honestly, in the whole time that she wasn't responding, I was seriously worried about her because I knew that she had this brain disorder and I was genuinely like, I hope she's okay. Um, that I was more worried about her than I was frustrated, but I was just sitting, God, I mean, I was just so sick with myself. Like, how could you be so selfish and how could you be so petty worrying about money and getting reimbursed for a car rental than like, knowing that she's sick and knowing that like she has so much shit on her plate, like how could you be such an asshole and how could you just be such like a sad person, Minji? Like I was just, and I've still like, honestly, to this day, I'm still like annoyed with myself and trying not to be too hard on myself. Cause I know that she wouldn't be cause no one was expecting that we'd have to say goodbye to her. But I mean, and then I get angry. I mean, when you lose somebody that you think was just so special and that had so many things that she gave the world and then you get angry. I mean, I felt like she was just robbed of her life with her son. I felt like I was robbed of my friend and I just, I was fucking angry. And I was like, why out of all the people, why her, you know, so much stuff she wanted to do. And there's so much stuff that we were going to do and that she was going to do with her friends and her family. And, it's just been a little bit crazy and I feel very raw right now sharing this on a podcast, but I know that, uh, I know for a fact that a lot of us have dealt with losing family and friends and the older we get, you know, the more it might be coming up. And I've always had this like really irrational fear of death because of my parents and I blame Batman Okay, I know it's like a tangent, but let me just explain. When I watched Batman and I saw that this 
cute little kid, Bruce Wayne, suddenly lost his parents, both of them, at once in one night. It scared the crap out of me that, like, what's going to happen if I suddenly lose somebody really important? And what's going to, you know, it's just like that underlying fear, (laughs) this dread of, like, I don't know how I'm going to handle that. And, you know, and then in an ironic way, it makes you, like, really sappy because it makes you really just savor every single moment you have with somebody. But it's kind of a peek into my psyche that from a young age, I did think about death a lot. And I don't think I've ever really stopped thinking about death, but I'm trying to just embrace the fact and the concept a little bit more in a more healthy way. Um, I did grow up in church and, uh, you know, I, this whole other podcast, but I, I don't know about heaven and hell. I'd like to believe in it because I like to believe that's where my grandfathers are. And that's where Irene is just hanging out with God and nice fluffy clouds, eating all the best foods. Um, all day long and watching great movies and whatever, whatever your concept of heaven is, no pain, no stress. Um, but even that, like even dealing with, with what happens to us after we go, there's some people I've met that don't believe in souls or spirits. I definitely do. Even if I don't know for sure where they go after they're gone out of their physical bodies. But, um, there's a lot, there's so much that comes up when you lose somebody, um, And you're never quite the same. But my concluding thoughts on losing Irene um, is that I'm very grateful to be alive. And I'm very grateful that I got to know her. And I'm very grateful, even again, backtracking and having known my ex-boyfriend's father, having gotten to know him and his legacy and what he did for his family. And my grandfather's, you know, the, the lives that they led while they were on earth and how they raised my, my mom and dad and how they served in the military and the kind of businesses that they built and the kind of legacies that they left. I'm, I'm in that upward turn in working on appreciation because after all the sadness fades and all of the anger and the guilt and the shock and everything fades, I'm left with gratitude because, um, that's happiness in my opinion. And I think, um, having gratitude and having joy while we can with the people that we love, um, that's what makes all of this worthwhile. You know, really though, what else, why else are we here? Why are we working so hard? Um, why are we trying so hard to look pretty and trying to get the love of our life to take notice of us and appreciate us. Appreciation and gratitude go so far. And that's what really lasts. Um, because I felt like Irene understood and appreciated me. She gave me so much in a short amount of time. And even the timing of her death, you know, I, I don't want to ever make light of it because her baby boy lost the most incredible mom and her husband lost an incredible wife and her family lost an incredible daughter and sister. And we all lost a friend, but I know that her passing was for a reason. And there's no way that somebody that, that shined so bright throughout 46 years of her life. There's no way that her, her life ending here on earth was for us to just be sad. Um, I know that we were 
were given this prompt of reflection to assess things um, when stakes are really high right now for a lot of people. And uh, people are going through different transformations. She's definitely contributed to mine. So I just want to have honored her. I didn't get to speak at any of her memorials. I just cried and sat in the background. But I wanted some way to really honor her and share who she was and also just what she she's taught me. Um, I want to make stuff. I want to I want to be less competitive. I want to be more creative. I want to be less fearful. I want to, and I want to be braver. I want to practice generosity and patience. Uh, I think I'm better in the generosity arena than patience. I think I, I still have a lot of things that really frustrate me and anger me and set me off. Uh, even dealing with her death has been really revealing of that. So I'm just putting this on air and sharing with you guys because something I want to work on. Um, and I really want to create more healing. I've seen a lot of pain in my lifetime. I've seen it a lot in others. I've been really, really lucky to have close friends of mine and even strangers open up to me in ways that is just kind of blown my mind. And I didn't fully understand why. Um, but just acknowledging that that's insight into somebody's heart and soul. And we are all dealing with our different forms of pain and uh, hurt and anger, frustration and insecurities. Uh, But we also have so much in us that who knows like what the slightest little thing can do to unleash all this greatness too, right? Um, All this bravery to just go take on the world and take on ourselves. Because seriously, if we can't deal with ourselves, we can't, there's nothing else outside that can fix that for us. And once we do fix ourselves, I'm getting really preachy here, but just hear me out. Once we deal with ourselves and you can go out and do good out there. Uh, and I know that's a lot of people's intentions. They want to help others. They want to make the world a better place because God knows there's enough shitty stuff out there. There's enough chaos and hatred and selfishness and all sorts of nonsense and yeah time's ticking you guys it's not to be morbid and it's not to be a jerk and to make you feel guilty i'm sending you the biggest hug that i can possibly send through the airwaves because we need uh we need you we need your light and we need your positivity i'm asking on behalf of myself and irene Whatever you have your passion, um, your skills and your intellect and your love, whatever gives you purpose, go pursue it. And the more, the more you can minimize the time that you spend being scared and self-doubting and making up excuses or procrastinating, I mean, the better. That is what this woman has taught me. Um, so yeah, I'm going to end episode eight. It's a, a little bit longer. Thank you for being by my side as I reflect. And uh, please follow, first of all, Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Didn't get the full podcast word in there. It's first of all, Pod. And that's where you'll find me. You can also become a patron of First of All Podcast on Patreon. 
And for those of you who don't know Patreon, it's a crowdfunding platform where you can support creatives like myself uh, and support their channels so that I don't have to record every single episode in a car. Maybe I can have studio space one day. That's the dream. And uh, yeah, there's special perks for patrons at different tiers. And I create different content specifically for my Patreon uh, followers and subscribers. So check that out if you'd like. And uh, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Radio Public, Stitcher. I'm on my way to be on Spotify. I'm really excited for that day. That'll be another celebration when that comes. Thank you to Marvin Yue, my producer, for helping make this all possible. And thank you to Travis Atreo for letting us use the song Set Free, which will be live and available to the public on September 1st. If you have any questions, comments, uh, fan mail, uh, a question for the IMO segments, please send that to firstofallpod at gmail.com. This is your host, Mindy Chang, and I love you all. I appreciate you all. Have a wonderful week. I may pop up with another (laughs) podcast episode in between then, but first of all, it goes up every single Tuesday. I will see you next week. I love you. Take care of yourselves. Be happy. Be grateful. And enjoy the day. See you later. Bye. for me